0: Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty LuPone.
1: This is Lynn manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.
0: As you look at, well, why did it just keep having seismic overhauls is because it's a seasonal show. And you give anyone six months to think about something before the next step, and they're going to want to change everything. Mm-hmm. And look, it did, I do believe it became progressively better and that each iteration improved but it was basically we would always laugh so we called it camp christmas which would always start <laughs> around january february which was okay what do we have
1: let's right. throw all the options gonna on the be table the yeah
0: yeah and you know who's gonna stick around who's gonna be replaced who is gonna actually be in the cast uh the kids grow up every year um, totally. and, you know, it was always that. a different of sh- of production. Uh, and for me, it was like doing four different new musicals yeah. and it was just a great way to learn. And, um, it gave Ben, Justin and myself, our Broadway debut, our first cast album mm-hmm. so much. And wow. it was a remarkable experience.
1: Welcome everybody to a musical theater podcast where we discuss the cultural and emotional impact of some of our favorite musicals in theater history. My name is Jeffrey Scott Parsons. You can call me Jeff. I have a bunch of sisters in my family and the only thing that brings them as much joy as watching Hallmark during Christmas is watching Hallmark during Christmas in July. And you know what? It's been a tough month. There's been a lot of stuff that's gone down, so we are celebrating Christmas in July, and gosh dang it, it's going to be awesome. Today, we're talking about A Christmas Story with the man who will no doubt have to answer how on earth you get children to sing beautiful harmonies. It's the original musical director of A Christmas Story. Everyone, welcome Ian Eisendrath. Yay! <laughs> Thank you.
0: It's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Welcome. Welcome. I'm so grateful that you're here now let's talk first you are maybe best known for musically directing uh, a show that like Christmas in July can act as a balm to the soul maybe it's the current king of said genre come from away
0: yes yes
1: um, gorgeous show
0: thank you so much
1: you were nominated for a Grammy for it which I got okay so we did our episode on come from away with Gino Carr
0: oh wonderful
1: sweetest guy and I said in the episode that I love that album because you can just put it on and it's the next best thing to sing it live.
0: You know, totally our goal. I'm so glad that you said that. We were, you know, you always when you put together an album, you start with trying to figure out like, okay, do you want to do this as a bunch of songs that are sort of standalone experiences? Come from a way to me, it's always just felt like it's so seamless. One big musical movement, you know, made up all these little parts. We just decided. Let's just try to essentially recreate an audio version of, the, of show. the entire thing.
1: That's wonderful.
0: Well, successful.
1: And then you guys filmed it for Apple TV Plus, which is incredible. And congrats yeah, on that. Was- How was that? Like, what's it, what? What was different for you in in going from the theater to say a streaming service?
0: <laughs> um, I mean, you know, it's like the goal was okay. Let's try to make this feel as if in this really challenging pandemic moment where people cannot come together, where we obviously cannot bring people into a theater. Let's bring this story, this experience that we all felt would really, really speak to the moment because it is sort of like waking up on nine twelve, having just had this awful, unthinkable tragedy and not knowing what comes next and how to cope Holy and um, the other thing was that idea of the importance of community and giving people a sense of what that looks like in a time that we couldn't be together and we couldn't come together oh and come from a way couldn't happen. Full body um, chills, yes. Yeah, so I really so in trying to create the living room theatrical experience, a full proscenium shot of the of the show would just not read and be emotionally compelling. So it was really fun to work with the director to figure out how he wants to shoot everything Mm -hmm. um and then in terms of the audio capture it's really interesting because a theater mix is designed to have everything play together and coexist in an environment where sounds can overlap and the key to film mix is you want isolation so that we can really craft the experience for the audience and bring the things that are most in focus to the front other things to the back um
1: Right, because whatever the lens is on is what our ear needs to be on. Yeah,
0: so we had to come up with really creative ways to essentially get clean ensemble vocals, get clean band, all while shooting either isolated shots, which was much easier to do that for, or doing a full run through the show for an audience that was brought together. So it was really interesting because it was really where like theater meets film and how do we retain the theatrical experience while... Well? making this something that you are experiencing on screen.
1: Right. A small well, screen. Not to put a perfect bow on this, but speaking of theater and film coming together in a musical way on Apple TV with Christmas elements. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, can, can you talk a little bit about what's happening at the end yes. of the year?
0: Yes. I just called you to say I'm running 10 minutes late because we're in the middle of a final mix for spirited, which is a brand new I, you know, it's almost like a musical fantasy um, with a score by Pasek and Paul, starring Will Farrell, Ryan Reynolds, Octavia Spencer. I started working on it in December of 2020 wow. and was full-time every day, January of 2020 until now. Um, and My we gosh. are now finally at the time that we are doing the final mix. We're bringing all the elements together. We're in a theater And we are seeing the film on the big screen and figuring out how, where music is going to sit in the mix. Where every element of vocals and instrumental and taps for the tap dancing, sound effects, all of that lives. And it's very exciting. This film is really special Um, in a lot of ways. It's a love letter and having fun with the musical as a genre. um, It's a very self-aware that we're breaking into song and every number is sort of an over extra explosive experience. But at the same time, (laughs) it's a comedy and also a super moving story. And it's not, uh, you know, I wouldn't describe it as serious, but I would describe it as utterly heartwarming and heartbreaking. And it's very ambitious. Uh, We're trying to do a lot. And um, I'm excited for people to experience it.
1: Yes, I can't wait. That sounds like... A joy is it? So Apple TV Plus, obviously, but is it also going
0: to be on the big screen? Do you think? Well, I am optimistic it will be. Um, yeah. I think that will sort of depend on what the next several months look like in so many different ways. In many
1: different ways, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, sure, sure, sure.
0: Okay, so now a Christmas story.
1: I thought this was gonna be such a simple project, like a simple episode, but then I sat down and started thinking about all of the the elements of the history that goes behind this. And and there is so (laughs) much history to a Christmas story. So we have to start with the movie, right? 1983 is when the movie comes out. It's based on kind of the monologues and writings of Gene Shepard, who is a very popular radio personality, kind of like Garrison Keillor, right?
0: Yes, um, absolutely. From Prairie
1: Home Companion. So it's, it's I don't want to say tongue-in-cheek, but there there is kind of a self-aware look at the banality of maybe Midwestern life that that's really being...
0: 100%. It was having, yeah, I think self-aware with a bit of like nostalgic humor. Nostalgia, right? 100%. It, yeah, like that's where the love it's comes It's 100% nostalgic, yes. Yeah. But also I, I have to think at the time when the film came out, it was a little edgy, too, you know, just to do something. Sorry, Especially
1: yeah. in terms of a holiday film, because this right. is what I, I was going to say. We didn't watch this one in my house. I, you know, like the kid drops the F-bomb, like the bad one. Absolutely. Not fudge. Yeah, so like yeah, we didn't exactly. we didn't really watch this Christmas movie. Oh, but, that's funny. Yeah. But it was unavoidable. Because you got 24 hours of A Christmas Story every year on TBS since the mid 90s. you know? Yeah. So what about you, though? Did you watch it? Do you it's do Christmas? Funny. Or... It
0: was one that came up every year growing up. And I don't know if you have those things that it's sort of like, ah, uh, this looks old. I don't really get this. Um, uh-huh. I, it was almost a little uncomfortable in some ways, just because it was sort of this gritty look. And I and I didn't quite get it because I didn't grow up in the Midwest, the 80s. Sorry, this, the 40s were certainly not... It, you know, it's interesting. Pretty, it, it's, sort it's of not like pretty. This, it was this 80s, unpretty filter mm-hmm. of what the 40s were like. Like so of I just the depression.
1: Did you know that it was the 40s? Because
0: I always just thought, oh, this is what the 80s looked like. <laughs> you know, I'm glad you said that because I didn't. I yeah. honestly didn't know it was the 40s until I started working on the musical and paid attention to it. And it was one of those things that I'd be on TV and I just sort of click past as a kid. Interesting. Um, so I, I really didn't know it well I didn't have this sense of like oh my gosh I love that and in fact I'm like oh that's that weird movie uh, but then I that watched it as makes me feel kind of
1: weird inside with like the mean yeah. Santa Claus that pushes yes, the kid down yes exactly
0: the... yeah. but then I watched it as an adult and I was like quite charmed by it uh, I, because, we have the exact same yeah. uh, experience here and I started when... reading Gene Shepard did you really? really? yeah and I really loved the source material that it came from listening to him and my wife actually introduced me to Garrison Keeler, who I also didn't know growing up and I'd sort of fallen in love with his Prairie Home Companion especially the like Wobegon stuff
1: oh my god and I'm like, like oh Wobegon. wow
0: this is like that and mm-hmm. the musical could be like that mm-hmm. um so then I was called I was asked to do it this would have been I'm trying to remember the year 2010 and okay. I was probably approached in July, August of that year. And the first production was going to be happening in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, I think it was, we started rehearsal in October. Oh. And it was one of those things where I was just sort of brought into the project and it was like, here, go. And it was interesting because the score was very intelligent, but very... Sondheim, um, very sophisticated Mm. with dissonance and a little bit of atonality. And I was surprised by that. (laughs) But I was like, okay, this is an interesting challenge. And I remember how challenging it was to rehearse and get this music together. uh, And then also just coming into this world with a new director and choreographer and team I hadn't worked with before. And they really had a clear vision for what the piece would be. And I don't know that the score necessarily supported that, but mm. then we also had Larry Blank, who's legend. Oh, um, yes, and of he was the person that had recommended me and got me involved. And he and I were definitely, you know, partners in figuring this out in Kansas City. And then his work, you know, he wrote these gorgeous charts that really captured the era. Um and I was orchestrator like orchestrator and arranger Larry. Yes, yes, and you know his his work is across so many shows. One of them is White Christmas, um, which had come out I think about two years before that um, mm-hmm. the the stage musical. Irving and so Berlin's he, White Christmas, exactly. Irving Berlin's, <laughs> yes, and he gave it a little bit of this nostalgic classic sound, and it was like, oh, this is what the show wants to be. And then what was interesting is we opened in Kansas City and audiences ate it up. It was like really it was like this is this it felt I, I'd done the Rocky horror show. Oh. And it felt like that. It felt like the audiences were there because they loved the movie, they knew the movie and they wanted all these bits and all these moments. And yet anyone who knows what a musical can do and should do like the bones of this, the structure of this is so good, but it's not adding up. And the songs hmm. are certainly not landing. And the audience is not engaging emotionally in the music. And it doesn't feel like music that sort of emanates from the stars of the show's mouths who were kids. Um, in- and interesting, you know, it felt interesting. very sophisticated for kids. Composer, so talented. You know, it's not- it's nothing to do with that person's ability it was just it wasn't a match i had a full-time job as the music supervisor and director of new work at the fifth avenue theater in seattle and i yeah and i called david armstrong who was our artistic director and i was like you should just come see this because i'd be really really curious you know because fifth avenue and new musicals is what they were doing and Mm -hmm. sort of being the the final sort of smoothing Process and the sort and of tryout point. launch point, yes, for many, many Broadway musicals. And David and Bernadine Griffin, who's our managing director, came and they, you know, were very perceptive. And David was like, look, this could be a hit. The bones of the show works. It just needs to be filled in with a brand new score. Mm. Um, and Tough Jerry Garing. Yeah, and Jerry Garing was our producer. And the director, you know, everyone sort of aligned on that. And it was tough because it's also very unique to be like, we're actually going to move forward with the show. We're going to keep everything but the score. Yeah. But we love these moments and everything's working. So we need to find a team to recreate the score. And at that moment, they reached out to various agents and wanted to find, you know, the next generation, Aaron's and Flaherty, that can mm-hmm. sort of write character, write period, but give it a contemporary, very listenable and appealing vibe. Mm. Um, and five or six different teams submitted, all very talented. And it's funny because I look at the list, and almost every single one of them that submitted demos now have major careers and are, you know, they absolutely oh my gosh, are. I would this love to that list. <laughs> next voices. Yeah. Totally. However, it was very clear the second that Benj and Justin's material came in that that was the match. Um, It fit like a glove. They were hired and they basically had six months to write a full brand new score that would start getting orchestrated, rehearsed, and in previews on the Fifth Avenue's 2200 seat stage. And it was like a mad dash to the finish line and and -hmm. basically which we were trying to recreate the iconic moments but with brand new lyrical musical content Mm -hmm. um and it was really interesting you know and they are they are tremendous and it was we met and we really just hit it off um the funny thing is that we didn't know each other even though the year that i'd graduated the university of michigan that spring, they started that fall.
1: And oh we all gosh. have the
0: same teachers, the same <laughs> classes, the same background. So it's very easy to work together. We're all story-driven musical artists that, you know, are always gonna be wanting the highest of musical quality, but character, text, and storytelling is of ultimate value and importance and it was just a really a really really great match and um we had just a wonderful wild time of staying up most nights till 3 or 4 a.m throughout the rehearsal period and previews working on all the rewrites and getting everything ready for the production and it was oh just it was wild and then the other funny thing which i would Alec back on it's like that was so crazy is the day after we froze for the very first out of town production, we recorded the cast album. Okay. So this
1: is where, cause as I was doing my research, reading the script, listening to the different recordings, whether it was the live version or this premiere recording, lots of changes. Oh my
0: gosh. I mean, it's funny to look back on. It's like, it, it's something I would never do again. and (laughs) I would highly recommend against it because, of course, the show is going to change in a million and one ways before you find its ultimate version. But at that point, to everyone's credit, one didn't know if, if and how it was going to move on. There's a world that it could have mm-hmm. gone into licensing, or right away. Into, that's like, so true. A non-union tour or regional productions. I don't think Broadway was the obvious next step, and it wasn't the next step. Mm-hmm. So we had a production the following year that was essentially a national tour that landed in Chicago. And so again, that's a really non-standard way to do things because we were rehearsing and prepping a show to go on tour, which we only had like a four-week rehearsal process. But really what we were doing was a version 3.0 of the show with a different (laughs) director, with a different choreographer, with brand new dance music, uh, with some new set elements, a brand new cast. Uh, and so we did that. And the thing that happened for the show that, you know, we'll all be forever thankful for is it landed in Chicago and received amazing reviews. Hmm. And that is what I think paved the way for Jerry Garing, our commercial producer and team to bring us to Broadway the following year.
1: Hey listeners, have you tried Factor yet? Remember Factor Meals? They were supposed to send me a box to try out, but they don't ship to Hawaii, so now I'm stuck with my Taco Bell. And now it's up to you, it's up to you to try it and let me know how it is, because it's May, and we can't eat like it's the holidays anymore. We're trying to get our summer bodies together, and Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietician-approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, You'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting food. You can choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, whatever you want. It's here. Head to FactorMeals.com/MusicalTheater50. That's Musical Theater with an E.R. and use code MusicalTheater50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code Musical Theater 50 at slash Musical Theater 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. And you open on Broadway in 2012, right? Yes. In time for Christmas for a limited engagement, the Lund Fontan. Yep. Uh, it, it's a great time. And then. Tony Award nominations come out. Well, and the next that okay. Year.
0: That's a great story because I'm, you know, Christmas Story's closed. It was seasonal.
1: Yeah, it was, it was like, just a was thing. That was awesome. Yeah. Uh-huh. And
0: I remember, A, I wasn't even paying attention to when Tony nominations came out, like not even on my radar. And oh. I remember my wife comes running in my bedroom in the morning, our bedroom, and was like, Ian, Christmas story was nominated for Tony. And I was like, shut up. Like, don't, you know, I thought it was like a <laughs> joke. She's like, no, no, look. And we were all just stunned, and you know, granted, and not just one. By the way, it's not just like the random design nomination. No, it's best musical. It was score and book orchestrations. I think, yeah, orchestrations and book, and it was yeah, it was just delightful. And then it was like once again that brought us all back together to create a Tony number, really challenging when you're not a running show. You know, Mm. everyone had left and just moved on with their lives and their careers and so it was a challenge to get everyone back together but it was it was thrilling um,
1: and i will forever be grateful because it meant that we got to
0: see caroline o'connor on the tony awards oh my gosh yeah that was really really fun to see her come back and um because i think she would returned to australia at that point so you know flew Maybe. her back yeah. and yeah that number is so amazing and that number was the brainchild of john rando and Warren Carlisle, because John was like, well, what if we sort of do like a Bugsy Malone thing? And Warren's like, I've got it. I've got it. And then Glenn Kelly, the very famous dance arranger, worked with Warren and created this amazing dance arrangement. And Benjamin Justin obviously wrote an adorable, adorable, fun fantasy song.
1: Oh, how exciting. And and the show has only since I, I will say this. I love when shows don't need to be a huge Broadway hit a huge, wicked 10 year right, plus right. type run in order to then have, f- forgive the term, why I've already used it, launching point into their cultural impact because the show has continued to be performed all over the country. And I think that it's because it could have, you know, a limited run on Broadway, get some Tony nominations, get uh, some acclaim, yeah. and also give talented people like yourself uh, an amazing platform to then go into the rest of their careers. Yeah,
0: no, I'm it's something I'll be forever grateful for and cherish all those memories.
1: So we're going to start at the top of the show and just talk through some of these these beats because the show, like the movie, acts as a memory piece, right? It's about this narrator looking back on Christmas memories and one of the things that i've really respected about the movie returning to it as an adult is how much and maybe this is where the discomfort came from when i was watching it when i was little is how much of it is about accountability about uh, this adult person looking back on their mistakes because ralphie messes up a lot during, you know, this story. He lies about his best friend. He beats somebody up, you know, pretty badly. Uh, He he swears, you know, these sorts of things aren't necessarily things that we would see a child protagonist do. And yet because the narrator is taking responsibility for them, in a in both a humorous way and yeah, and a, and a loving way as yeah. well. You know, to almost like he's given himself a little bit of grace by uh by being able to laugh at all of the, the mistakes that we make as children. And they're so I, I I find
0: that really beautiful. Yeah, and I I think I have such a I love what you're saying, it's an interesting way of looking at it, because I actually hadn't looked at it that way before and I, yeah, I've always thought of it, and I, and I think these two ideas work hand in hand, a little bit as a reconciliation of his relationship with his father and mm, sort of yes. understanding that as an adult and um, looking back on all the things that he did as a kid to win that love, to know that he was all right, almost looking at like, the roller coaster ride he went on, all the crazy hurdles he went through just to know he was loved. Um and you know, and it's and I'm so I love relatable to oh yeah. I mean it is, it's like an adult therapy session. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah but, I know you're exactly but right. but also to see sort of the fearless desperation of what it means to be a kid. And so mm-hmm. I think that's what you're saying is to own that like you know what? These were crazy half witted ideas but first of all, they're very funny to look back on. Look yes. at what I did. And then yes. i look at why. Um, and I think what is so beautiful and funny about the Gene Shepherd is that you have this kid playing out all these actions with the inner monologue of an adult who now understands what the was actually going on yes. and how the wheels were turning. But then it ends, and I'm sure you were wanting to wait to get to this, But so I won't I won't talk a lot about it, but just, you know, at the ending, he unpacks it as it was really just all about one simple thing Mm -hmm. Had nothing to do with a gun. It had all it was, is I just wanted to know that my dad loved me and that he was listening.
1: Yeah. 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 There's there's things to learn here as both grown-up children and grown-up adults you know what (laughs)
0: yeah yeah who are Um, all at the end of the day at least a part of us is a child is a child and and i think that's also what's so charming about it is we all are that dichotomy that we see on the christmas story stage which is Mm -hmm. the adult with the more sophisticated point of view and the kid who's just trying to know that he's loved. we're here we're talking about this
1: story and and the movie and how it can often be sardonic and morose and you turn it into a splashy musical and it's going to end up getting slicker. like there's yeah. no way that it can't be. But yeah. I also actually am really down I can speak as as a fan of this idea of turning it into a musical because nostalgia is never realism exactly. <laughs> and in fact, The way, especially in the movie, the way that the writing and the things are played out is quite operatic because we're seeing it from a child's eyes. There's nothing greater. There's nothing more important than this one Christmas present, which is ridiculous. So when emotions are that strong, hello, musical number, it's a great opportunity to
0: to translate into the art form. And this was a kid who lived in the world of fantasy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so much of this is in his head and how he is perceiving himself or how he's perceiving what he wants to be, um, that it was just so easy to make a fast 180 into a Western number, you know, where he's this cowboy to this nightclub where, you know, he's going in a tux and (laughs) with, you know, a little gangster with, you know, gangster balls and they're all being threatened and afraid for their lives, um, to a gigantic Broadway Bugsby Berkeley type number. Like, yeah, it was it yeah, the material and even the film does go into fantasy as fantasy. well. So it's was very Absolutely. just much like like, okay, it's fantasy. It's a big musical number and those aren't the only ways that musical was that music was employed mm-hmm. but it was so the invitation to blow up into gigantic musical numbers. That's the invitation. Great way of saying it.
1: Um, so we're talking of course, about the Parker family. In the Parker family, you got Ralphie, who's our, our main main guy, may or may not he is. Uh, the younger version of this narrator, uh, Gene Shepard, and yeah. in the musical there is a character named gene who actually is the narrator the narrator in the film we usually only get to hear him but in here on over and now right? this is yeah turned into a fully fleshed out character ralphie has a little brother named randy who we all remember because once he puts on his so- snow suit he can't put his arms down uh they have a hard-working mother um, who has some really sympathetic material. Look, Pey- nobody does a second act mother number quite like Pasek and Paul. And <laughs> right? I,
0: they know how to do those. They yeah. know
1: how to do those. Dear Evan Hansen has, of course, I think probably the best one, and there's a beautiful one in here as well. Yeah. Uh, and then we've got the old man, right? This father figure who is uh, so essential to the story. And they're getting ready for Christmas. Ralphie has decided that the the gift that he wants more than anything in the world is Greens, greens, and nothing. No, it's uh, <laughs> it's an official Red Rider range model. Carbine action BB gun with a compass in the stock and this thing that tells time. And if you need any sort of inkling as to what the sense of comedy is with uh, Gene Shepard's writing, it's right here, right? He feels so passionate about a thing that he can't even really describe. It's And it has this thing that tells time. <laughs> Can Ralphie even tell time? We're not sure. But the, right, the right, point right. Is, is that this rifle has it this is what he wants more than anything. And the whole musical or the whole story really revolves around him planting this idea into his parents' brain to make sure that he gets it on Christmas. Did you have in your childhood any sort of thing like this, not necessarily with Christmas, but just in terms of really devising a plan to to get your parents to I mean, this is going
0: to be a disappointing answer. Um, it's, all, it's all good. It was never I, a I feel thing. like I have a
1: good one. <laughs> yeah, it was.
0: Okay, you should answer. It was never like a thing that I wanted. It was experiences that I wanted. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. So I was yeah. always like, I want to, honestly, for me, it was like, I want to do these theatrical or musical projects. And um, the, the truth is my parents were very aware and listening and loving. So I got to Aww, do them. That's and really I do sweet. that. But still, I mean, there was always that devising of like, oh, my gosh, this is going to require my mom to drive me from one theater camp to the other. And, like, <laughs> you know, like all that scheming. And then as I got older, getting the independence and permission to do things. Uh, yeah, so I think that's more how I approached it. But I want to hear your story.
1: No, but I'm also picturing little Ian, like planning it out in his room. Like, OK, if I this camp ends at 3 p.m. Exactly. We get in the car. Oh, yeah, we can 100 percent make it across it to yeah. town across yeah. town. Uh, For me, this one uh, experience comes to mind. And it was I'm from Utah. And in Salt Lake City, there was a national tour coming through of a chorus line. I had never seen a chorus line. I hadn't even really heard a chorus line. But I knew that a chorus line was something that I needed to witness as a child. I never did, by the way, because you don't you probably don't take children to a course Line. <laughs> totally. The, yes. the point being is that I knew that the national tour was coming through. And I prayed a lot. Oh, I love it. I love it. That my grandparents would just randomly call up. And I used the think system. I used prayer. I, would, I sat and looked at our rotary phone and pictured it calling or p- pictured it ringing. And I just knew that they were going to call and say, you know what, we've found an extra ticket in our season subscription and we're going to bring you along. And I tried to drop all of the hints and boy, oh boy, did it fall flat.
0: <laughs> that, uh, it's amazing. <laughs> That's literally you had your Ralphie. Experience. That's exactly. I mean, I think that so much of the show is about this character on this mission and it's like failed attempt after failed attempt after failed attempt and then a total give up. On yeah, Christmas, the worst Christmas of his life. Yeah, no, um, like there's nothing know, left to live for, right, truly. And then the sweetest, sweetest surprise at the end. But I, yeah, I so relate to that. And what's interesting in the process, and I really got to be involved with and live through every iteration, was like, how do we get inside this character's head and establish the validity of this want? Because mm. it's ridiculous and it's so easy for an audience to judge. You know, just like to write that off and not be invested in it. And um, you know, we went through many, many opening numbers. And it's interesting to look at the things that were tried and true and evergreen. It was always important that we established that Christmas is the season of anticipation. Ooh, and that's so true. Got to get it right because you only have one a year. And during the depression in the Midwest. It's the one moment when you could justify having a want or making your children or loved ones' dreams come true and that you would just stretch a little bit. So every time we did an opening number that was the least bit successful, you always established sort of the town of home in Indiana, the family, and finally Ralphie, and the idea that this is a highly loaded time of anticipation and you only get one shot. And it's interesting once Benj and Justin started writing the score, the idea of counting down to Christmas Mm. was a number. Uh, And it's funny that we went from counting down to Christmas and I love this. Um, And I remember we were just having a brainstorming session and I can't remember if it was Ben, Justin, John Rando, but someone was like, it all comes down to Christmas. That's the point. It all comes down. Mm. It's not about counting down. That's low stakes. It's the fact that everything in my life comes down to Christmas. And um, the song sort of found its final form with that.
1: Yeah. That takes my mind so many places, Uh, especially looking at how maybe depression era was one gift, right? Whereas now I I think most of my nieces and nephews would be incredibly disappointed if they only got one gift for Christmas. Um, And yet it's all based in the same thing, which is like, this is Christmas we got to get it right
0: and uh, Look at we're it. also
1: surrounded by this marketing machine that tells us we need more and more right. And more
0: right and it's what's interesting to me is as a kid I looked forward to Christmas but I was not having the Ralphie experience I think it's just because I was really fulfilled doing the things I was doing mm. I yeah. had you know my issues and my pain but it wasn't it wasn't needing to get a Seems. gift. But it's interesting as a parent, I have three kids and I'm so aware that I have really less than 14 shots, you know, probably more like 10 by the time they're old enough and before they become, you know, teens that are a little bit wiser. Um, Mm -hmm. I have, you know, so 10 shots to make my kids' fantasies come true. And then I also have this son, Charlie, who it's so funny because I've not thought about this till we just started this podcast, but he's 10 years old and there's times that we almost like judge him for being like a little bit entitled or materialistic because (laughs) he really thinks about, you know, I just, I really, really want this thing. And he becomes consumed with it, but I'm all of a sudden like, Oh, that's so sweet. And like, I know Mm -hmm. that it's, you know, it's like, he wants this thing because he thinks it's going to complete him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like, it's just this childish in a positive way, like child-like, mm-hmm. innocent, naive place that one day he's not going to be there. And it's like, it just makes me want to like, just cherish it and not get him every single thing he wants. But really those those listening moments where you can make their dreams come true, those you, you only have a few, you know? And I think Dang, that's- Dang, I learned that.
1: something about- being a parent today. Thank you. Uh, no, because I, I love that. It's not about getting them what they want. It's about making their dreams come true. And I think that if you're right, if you, if you listen, you probably have a better chance of doing it.
0: Yeah. And you want to, cause you know, they're facing hard things. They're going to face hard things and you really want to give them these experiences where they feel seen. Mm-hmm. And I think that is what it's about. Um, yeah. And like I also I don't know like for me that one of the most heartbreaking moments, and I remember it being a kid, but then also seeing it on my kids, is when they receive something, and it's not the thing that they want, but then you see them sort of struggle through to not be disappointed, Mm. so as to not be greedy, entitled, or rude at the end of the day um and it's funny because i'm just remembering that that's what happened to ralphie yeah um you know he his dad sort of played a trick on him and he very that he much didn't you that know, he didn't get it he for didn't christmas. get it and he had to sort of stiff upper lip it through all of christmas
1: it is a little bit like a charlie in the chocolate factory thing where he passed the test mm. when he didn't get it he didn't you know yeah. he doesn't uh throw a fit and in fact right. maybe that was passing the test
0: Yeah, no, I totally, that's what made him the character deserving of taking on the Chocolate Factory. It's funny too, because I'm realizing as we're talking that I think almost every year, if not every year, I always do a misdirect as a Christmas gift. Um, In fact, it's like this year was borderline mean. My daughter, like she was so clear about the things she needed and she wanted. And I really set her up to not get it. But then she was thinking, like, dad does this every year. And then I really delivered a gift that was like, uh, what do you call it? Like a. Um, oh, sure. Red herring sort of thing. Red herring. That's like a red herring. And so I watched her be like, oh my gosh, I've been so clear all year about this <laughs> thing that I actually need. And my dad got me this. And it was like an experience. I think it was like a promise. I promised to take her to Harry Potter odd set experience in London. And it was very viable as a thing that she would love, but it was absolutely not what she asked for. Uh-huh. And I literally watched her be like, yeah, you just like really didn't listen to me <laughs> and pretend to be like, thank you, dad. Um, and then I gave her the thing. And you know, I remember my wife was like, that is so mean, like, like got mad at me for doing that. Like, you that's know. a little too much, babe. Yeah, I know, but I think I got it for Christmas Story. I think it's just like you planted <laughs> in me. It's like, planted from all do? these years. I know. I've conducted the show too many times.
1: <laughs> hey, listeners, have you tried Factor yet? Remember Factor Meals? They were supposed to send me a box to try out, but they don't ship to Hawaii, so now I'm stuck with my Taco Bell. And now it's up to you. It's up to you to try it and let me know how it is because it's May and we can't eat like it's the holidays anymore. We're trying to get our summer bodies together and factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, You'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting food. You can choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, whatever you want, it's here. Head to factormeals.com musicaltheater50, that's musicaltheater with an E-R, and use code musicaltheater50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code Musical Theater 50 at FactorMeals.com slash Musical Theater 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. <laughs> so, in the show, there are obviously so many great iconic moments in, in these little chapters that come up throughout the show and throughout the story. But uh, some of the musical numbers that I have to point out that I think are just absolute, are my absolute faves. Uh, Ralphie to the rescue!
0: Oh, I think that is perfection. Well, yeah, yeah. It's so, it's great. so it's like Hollywood cowboy fantasy, Magnificent
1: Seven. It's got that whole sound. Yeah, and uh, and it's when Ralphie's picturing himself
0: as you know the Wild West hero of the king world. of the Wild West. Yeah, yep. And Oh, I'll I'll never forget the first time we sang Justin's vocal arrangement and rehearsed get him cowboy cowboy Ralphie you know it was like that sort of swoony period vocal with the yes you know groove underneath it and then seeing everyone doing this country western you know Hollywood choreography um it, it was just that is a number and that's like those moments where you just know okay this is a thing this is a thing completely agree Love
1: that number. The thing that the adults always keep saying to Ralphie about wanting this gun is that he'll shoot his eye out. And that he's, you know, too young to uh, be trusted with a BB gun, which I'm sure is incredibly triggering for it's a like, child.
0: Right. And it's like very fair. But <laughs> yeah, it's basically saying you're not I big enough. I feel like he hears it. It's not only you're not big enough, but you're not worthy. Mm. Yeah. You know, I think that it's like, yeah, you can handle that. You haven't proved yourself. We don't trust you. Uh, And that's the most deflating thing to hear.
1: And it really comes with a position of power too, because there are these bullies at school that
0: are absolute terrors. His teacher. Yeah. Just like, yeah, there's all these people that are not seeing him, that are judging him unworthy, that are diminishing him and, while it's all done through the gene shepherd cynical sardonic humor lens we all can relate to that yes 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 yes
1: i think ralphie's father is going through something similar he's always Mm. seeking for some sort of power and feeling empowered in his life his he's putting all of his energy into this crossword puzzle contest because uh, that'll make him feel special uh, amidst the furnace constantly breaking down and and the car breaking down and and all of these little things that are the dogs next door who are always barking at him.
0: <laughs> he and, has a hard life, right? Like, yeah, he has world on his shoulders. He is such a sort of classic, like, 40s, blue-collar, stereotypical, but, like, yes, you're right. He's going through the same thing of, like, feeling like one of the masses and needing to be special. I think that's the beauty of this thing is that like, like father, like son, the father mm-hmm. is going through a very similar thing, having a similar level of fantasy that I'm going to be the genius. Yes. Like I'm not going to be seen genius as genius on Cleveland just, street as the, yes, song, by the way, yeah. which I love. So funny. Um, the
1: Peter Pan moment kills me. Every oh,
0: time. I'm trying to remember that we went through many, many different things for what that was. Um, but, it's interesting because I just think I I, I knew people like uh, my wife's grandparents, even like that mm. were very much sort of working class, world on their shoulders, but knowing that they have this genius within and that, you know, one day I think it was. Inventions. Everybody will finally see it. Yeah. Yes. I'm going to invent this thing and they, they will mm-hmm. try to invent it. And I'm going to all of a sudden be seen for who I am and my my future will transform
1: and for the old man he actually does end up winning a major award as we, the song is called from this crossword puzzle contest and the prize is this hideous leg lamp it's the infamous leg lamp from a christmas story
0: right of um, tawdry just it, like... which when you think of
1: the time period, right? This like, uh, yeah, stocking it, leg lamp in the in the front window of a home. You're like, what on earth is going on inside that
0: house? Well, and it's just like it's the sheer hubris and ego and need to be seen <laughs> as special that like, you know what? I'm absolutely not going to face the reality that this is a joke and and maybe fact, not a good idea. Yeah, but. I think it's so much about the fact that I need this thing to be a beautiful treasure that I've just won. And so I am just going to fully commit and like just fully go with the fact that this is a piece of art and this is going to transform our lives.
1: Ergo, the leg lamp is the BB gun.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's, like, it's the same thing. It's the same um, thing. Yeah, and once again, just like Ralphie is imagining himself in this Western fantasy, Old Man is imagining himself in this classic 1940s musical number with a long kick line of beautiful women. Beautiful beautiful, Yeah, with these (laughs) legs. Um, And... Yeah, it's wild.
1: It's wild. It gives a it gives a new meaning to the term kick line, right? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. In the second act, we have "You'll Shoot Your Eye," which we already talked about. But uh, the the teacher who Ralphie thought might be on his side mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. he he wrote this paper about what he wanted for Christmas, and he thought, well, even if my parents don't think, I'm speaking from a place of reality then at least my my teacher will catch the vision and be able to tell them she completely disagrees and gives him a c plus and uh then we get the great number you'll shoot your eye which is another fun fantasy sequence for him the triple dog dare is another of my favorite moments in a christmas story and uh it's also played out here in the musical where the young boy what's his name is that schwartz who does that no, it's a um,
0: triple dog Fritz? dare use flick.
1: Yes, flick. There it is. Yes. Flick gets his tongue stuck to the pole. Where did you grow up? Were you did you grow up in the cold? I no, I grew up in Olympia, Washington, so
0: I was oh. very temperate. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Gorgeous. I once again grew up in Utah. Very cold. I love in this musical how there's the one little monologue for the narrator about, oh, it's when they're putting on the snowsuits and getting ready to go to oh, school. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and because in California, if it dips below, you know, 60 degrees, you're like, ooh, I need my scarf, and maybe we should cancel, like, the whole day. Right. <laughs> but but when you live in winter, you just get a snow shovel when it's time to go to work. Like, you don't get to not go to work just because yeah. there's three feet of snow on the ground. You, yeah, you totally. Life continues, and I love that that is talked about here in a very
0: uh real way <laughs> yeah yeah no I, I agree and it's funny I I got to know that because I went to school in Ann Arbor Michigan oh gosh and I, I remember being oh, shocked gosh. by like wait I have to walk in this like they expect <laughs> us to go outside like there's one day it was so cold that I literally started crying when like the wind like ripped in my face and I was like ah I like this is this is just wrong um so I definitely connected to that That's um but yeah that moment on the flagpole um I, I actually just really, really love the lyric, a sticky situation. And uh, yes. I like so much fun. Um, because it, you know, the double entendre is fantastic. And that's just a really fun number. And that's one that like that's not fantasy, but it still lives out in a musical world where all of a sudden you have everyone who's embroiled in this chaotic crisis yes. <laughs> crisis it's, yeah and it kind of shows the that... counterpoint and cacophony. yes
1: yes and it kind of shows that kids can be dicks but in like the most innocent way yeah because they've totally abandoned their friend out there and are and are wanting figuring out what lie maybe they need to tell so that they don't get in trouble yeah. but like <laughs> which, which is kind of like i said a dick move but they're kids and they're just yeah. trying not to get in trouble which seems to be the only their only job like right well, <laughs> as children because... we just are not supposed to get in trouble
0: and it's christmas cuz if hey, you thank get in you. trouble then you're not going to get your thing oh my gosh like, on top of it all you're so yeah. right you're so yeah. right i, I just I think that was one of the reasons I didn't like the movie growing up because I remember that scene made me so uncomfortable. (laughs) Um, Which, because you're just so up close and seeing this kid who's. You are up in there. That's so true. And it's like, I never want to see that. And it just looks painful. And my favorite (laughs) moment in the musical is you're in a scene and everyone is sitting at their desks and out of, you know, far in the back upstage. You're seeing this kid just sort of flailing about on the flagpole and everyone's ignoring it. Uh, like, I, I just, that brought me continual joy. That's
1: amazing. Well, all of this chaos has taken a toll on Ralphie and he finally can't take it anymore and he takes it out on the bully. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's a really sobering and kind of beautiful scene because there is no victory in Ralphie beating up this kid. There's no, no, he did it and, uh, and now he's, he's a man, you know, it's, he's crying. The bully's crying. Everybody just has all of these feelings that they don't know what to do with.
0: Well, they've all been like reduced to vulnerability. Yeah. And I, yeah. I love that. I, I, And it starts as a comic scene, mm-hmm. you know, with him saying gibberish like his old man does, but then. All of a sudden, you break into realism and real time beating him up, and Ralphie starts crying. The kid starts crying, and his mom shows up. Mm-hmm. And a beautiful moment. And it's something I'll always be grateful to my mom for. It's like I always feel like she took my side. And, mm. um, you know, the mom tells all the kids to go home and sort of gives everyone the proper, stern parental response, but then rushes to Ralphie's side and brings him home and then sings my favorite song in the show just like that and like trying to teach him and you know 11 year old appropriate language that when these things in life feel impossible remember that the moment will go and that you'll be on the other side of it something that i still don't you know as an adult i still don't remember you know because but i think she's really teaching him that important lesson of like you just gotta allow the pain mm-hmm. and trust that like you will get through this and get past this and she partners with ralphie to not get caught Mm -hmm. and i think there's something so beautiful about that she's sort of a co-conspirator because even she sees that how hurt he is yeah and that this is not the moment for old man to give him a dressing down and oh yeah i love it and i just love that song
1: I'm not sure there is a more important lesson for us to hear right now, whether it's as children or adults, that our feelings are important and are always temporary. Yeah, that's so true.
0: Yeah, it can be both. And, it can be both. Yep, it
1: can both. I
0: agree. I agree. The other favorite song of mine is the title song, "Christmas Story." Um, oh, at, at the end, absolutely. Oh, like it's just gorgeous, and I think it's just you know you go through this. Whole up and down experience, and you end with him receiving this thing after all, and like you are just you're so relieved, and you're so touched. Um, and then Gene Shepherd, as an adult, I think just really sums up, you know, the fact that this was the most memorable Christmas because it was the pain that led to the breakthrough. That basically let me know that my dad loved me Mm -hmm. and that at the end of the day, that's what it was all about, love. And, you know, this text of what a Christmas story to behold, a crazy Christmas story to be told. And (laughs) it just sort of sums up the idea of nostalgia and that like the highs and the lows, the light and the dark are what create this beautiful memory that, you know, he'll never forget.
1: I think we all have those memories. The, the moments when we look back and see how our parents loved us. Yeah.
0: That you don't understand until you don't understand. Exactly. Yeah. It's like until you're in their shoes, whether you're a parent or not, it's just like you suddenly understand, oh, wow, they were dealing with all of this and this is, yeah, what they did for me. Yeah. Ah, so fun. See, I feel so good now. My heart is full. <laughs> Thank you. I love revisiting that because I, I really haven't thought about the musical for you know we did the live television experience and that was in 2017 and I, it's it's been a minute. Yeah, we've yeah. been through a lot in the world. And look, I don't know. You know, it's tough right now because you have a show that is centered around a boy wanting a gun. Yeah, the last thing we want to put out in the world right now. And I don't know 100%. what will happen with it. But I, I, I do think that it's really interesting to explore like what the show's really about. Good point.
1: Great points, in fact. And even from, this is probably a, even a much longer conversation than we have time for, but looking at the approaches that you needed to shift once you came to the live TV event. Oh, yeah. Simply that because of the really cultural changes and that was, that had only been a few years since you had written it, right?
0: So I uh, yeah, the since world they changed they had written it. They'd written it. Yeah, the world changed those five years. Um but I mean I've gotta say, I don't know, and I could be totally wrong, but it feels like the amount of change we saw in those five years doesn't compare to the amount of change that we've seen in the five years since. Mm. Um Absolutely. Or has it been five years or am I making yep, up five. eighteen nineteen? Yeah. Yeah. No. And look, it's exactly ten years ago that Christmas story this year was on Broadway. Um wow. so it's like I, I what would we do today hmm. if we were recreating that musical for today? And um, I, I don't point. know that you even could. Um but mm-hmm. it's yeah, but for the live television experience, there was responding to the change in the world, also to the incredible actors cast, but then I don't think people realize how much of that change was driven by the fact that we were doing this live across multiple stages and locations on the warner brothers lot Mm -hmm. um so it's like all of a sudden you literally had to plan that maya rudolph is going to go get in her golf cart (laughs) and they're going to drive her to the next stage which means the transition music or material needs to be expanded by one minute and we need something there that's going to hold the audience's attention. Like it's funny, the things that were driving all of that. And literally literally, the actors were, I mean, I can't believe I look back on it. It's like, it's just crazy. Mm. They were in real time doing like what we would do in a film shoot across 60 days or more you know Um, and it's like okay we're going to shoot this on this stage get in the golf cart go 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 to this stage and then we need you to walk down the street and then we're going to cut to this stage and the whole thing was so carefully choreographed and music of course becomes completely at the mercy of the timing required to pull this off yeah wow well
1: congratulations regardless of how you feel it went, it, that's a feat un, unto itself, just to get it done.
0: Yeah, No, it sure was. And, um, I- again, it was a crazy Christmas story. And, like, that's the <laughs> thing that, like, every single year line. of a Christmas story, it's what a Christmas story to behold, a crazy Christmas story to be told. <laughs> it's just true, you know. Wow. Wow, wow, wow.
1: As always, if you have recommendations for shows you'd like us to cover on a musical theater podcast, you can always email me at amusicalpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at amusicalpodcast. Podcast. We've also got Patreon Exclamation Point, where for only one dollar a month you can receive bonus content. Oh, uh, there's a tea public store that we're now donating all of the money to Broadway Care's Equity Fights AIDS. Oh my gosh, there are so many wonderful ways to connect with this great podcast community that you all know I am incredibly grateful for. Hey Ian, how do we
0: follow you, anything you're up to, anything you want to plug? Uh my Instagram is Ian Eisendraft Music. I'm on Facebook, I have a website, ianeisenhardt.com, and I really look forward to everyone checking out Spirit and L. Crocodile, which will be both released this fall, and more to be revealed.
1: Yes, can't wait. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Uh, Congratulations on all of your success, and thank you for being a part of our musical theater heritage. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Everybody, thank you for listening, and uh, go have yourselves a crazy Christmas story to be told.